Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Fellow conspiracy realists, if you are tuning in to this show, then you are well aware that uh, Germany's Nazi party during World War II got up to a lot of horrible stuff. And they also got up to a lot of creepy, weird things. There are still questions about how far uh, the Nazi scientists got into certain aspects of technology. Rocketry, material science, aircraft, aerodynamics. Uh, There is something that has always captivated uh, you, Matt, and me as well about this stuff. Like uh, about how much of it may be true, uh, you know, where's that grain of truth amid all these conspiracy theories. And we know that some of it was real, like Operation Paperclip was a project by the U.S. government to poach Nazi scientists at the close of World War II. Nobody likes to talk about it, but Nazi scientists are a big factor in the U.S.'s successful space missions, which is insane, but that's, oh man, I love this classic episode. This is actually one of my favorites, man. Yeah, it's great. So let's jump right in. This is The Legend of Die Glock, or The Bell. Uh Uh-oh, is that a spoiler alert? Maybe it is. I can't remember how we tackle it in this episode, but it's a legendary thing. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Let's explore it. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. 
Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. Guten Tag. Get it, guys? They call me Ben. Uh, you're you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. And today, we're going to uh, not quite flip the script, but let's say tilt it perpendicularly, in a perpendicular level, uh, slightly to the right or left or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's an audio show. We're going to start with a listener suggestion rather than end with our uh, typical shout-out corner, which we'll probably still do that, too, because we all think it's a lot of fun. Uh, we are pursuing a topic that people around the world have asked us to cover for several years. So we want to thank Aaron J., Carl L., and Avner B., uh, those are from 2016, 2015, and 2014, respectively. Yeah. We also uh, have our Australian mate, Stefan, who wrote to us about this Stephane very Stefan was uh, Steve Urkel's suave alter ego. Yes, mm-hmm. precisely. Mm-hmm. From Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, no, in fact, did move to Australia and became a fan of our show. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Might be a different Stefan, but, you know, we'll have to wait for him to write back to let us know. Yeah, it's uh, it takes a long time to get a letter from Melbourne. Yes, Brisbane, Melbourne. My father's name was Melbourne. Mel- Melvin was his real name. Ah, uh, got it, got it. it. Close for, enough. For anyone that knows the pops. <laughs> and the subject of these emails uh, fascinated us and, and hopefully will fascinate or at least interest many of you out there in podcast intangible audio land. We were inspired last week when we received the note from Stefan. Uh, regardless of whether or not his past intersects with family matters, he raised a good point and he said, hey, what about the Nazi bell? But Ben, before we do that, we have to mention vault number seven, right? Yeah. What's vault number seven, you guys? Oh, WikiLeaks. They're at it again. They've released a whole treasure trove of information on the CIA and their hacking techniques. Those rascals over at WikiLeaks. It's another one of the largest leaks in the uh, history of leaks and there's apparently another person that the the media is referring to as the next snowden an insider that had all of these documents and leaked them all and snowden has weighed in and uh, believes these documents to be legitimate mm-hmm. but guess what what's that's that? not what we're talking about today that's just a, a mention of what's happening in the news. In the news. In the news. We just talked about something that was in the news. And so you can expect perhaps an episode from us more in-depth uh, exploration of the recent CIA revelations. For now, let's go back to those 40s. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not talking about Nazis again, are we? You did not see it coming, huh? All right. So Nazis are a source of endless speculation in the world of alternative history and fringe research, right? In the past, we have explored the Nazi search for Shangri-La, the weird beliefs of Zannenberg in the occult, and even the idea that they search for a subterranean civilization. That was crazy. Oh, yeah. When they went to Antarctica Mm -hmm. and look look for... Maybe reptilians, maybe not, probably not. Right, or maybe uh, some sort of uh, Hyperborean elder civilization that was inexplicably Aryan. Yep. Uh, it is a fact, by the way, that they did land in a place and wanted to call it New Schwabia. Uh, however, the extent of any permanent settlement there, that's where you get into the fringe stuff. The point is, we have all these different 
strange things about the Nazi party and the events leading up to and after World War II. Uh, and we've explored a lot of it in the past. You can check it out, shameless plug, on our website, stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com. Or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> there we go. Nailed it. That's the tag. However uh, you're listening to this. If you are just meditating to some point where this is going into your brain, then <gasps> I guess wherever you get your ohms. If you prefer your podcast in suppository form, we can help you with that. Nope. We actually can't. Sorry. Well, I mean, it's kind of a DIY thing. Yeah, we, we, could, we could give you the recipe. We, like, morally <laughs> support you. <laughs> we will aid in a bet. So today we're looking at one of the most popular legends from the infamous Nazi regime. My theory is they're, you know, they had their fingers in so many different weird things because they just didn't have any scruples. They were just like, hey, we'll try it all, whatever. And this time we're talking about a weapon. Uh, a sort of secret technology that allegedly not only surpassed all of the weaponry of the Allies at the time, but likely remains unsurpassed to this day. Um, it's commonly referred to as Die Glucke or the Nazi bell. Um, to the Germans, it was called simply the Wunderwaffe. Now, there are three people out there going, but you guys, you talked about Nazi weapons at some point. Ah, ha, ha. We talked about the Horton HO and a bunch of their rocket weaponry and some of the weird weapons. That's right. In our very first podcast, huh? Yes, that is correct. Oh, One of them. But we never got into in depth about this Wunderwolf. This very special one. Now, you yeah. may be aware of that Oasis song, Wunderwaffe, um, but this is not that Wunderwaffe. And after awful, you're my Wunderwaffe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the strange thing about these Wunderwaffe is, all right, what, what does that mean for the non-German speakers? Uh, it is a wonder weapon. It's something that would have had the potential to shift the course of conflict in this serious and possibly final way. And Think it's, nuclear weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would qualify. And it's important to understand that a lot of these super weapons were real, genuine things. And it's also important to note, we found this kind of funny in the research, that in German, sometimes calling something a Wunderwaffe is like a solution to all sorts of problems, an illusory panacea. Whoa. This so. will fix a uh, final solution? <laughs> Ouch. I yeah. mean... I was thinking more along the lines of snake oil. Okay, you know, okay. When they say someone's a snake oil salesman. A cure-all. And it turns out, that we know a whole lot about these programs because as the war drew to a close, the Allied forces overran Germany and captured not only all of their as much of their technology as possible in the forms of operational and prototype designs, but also a lot of documentation pertaining to those experiments and plans. Unless we forget stealing or taking the scientists. Yes, in Operation Paperclip, where you know easily fifteen hundred plus scientists were taken by the U.S. government, given new identities. And then started NASA. Yeah, and started NASA. So really, the the as we talked about in previous episodes, in some ways, uh, the, the Nazi technology powered the space race. Well, actually, in pretty much conclusive ways, Nazi technology powered the space race or experimentation there. And uh, the closest things to Nazi UFOs that have been proven to exist are pretty much U.S. space shuttles yeah. or satellites, yeah. you know, and that's that's terrifying. But um, 
you know, that's part of the way that technological progress works. Technology the, yeah, is, the best rises to the top and then the conquerors take that best part. Yeah, and technology is amoral. Technology does not favor one side of an ideology or another. True. Even ever since the days of, of fire and the wheel, wheels <laughs> just roll and fire just burns, man. Yep. And if you find a way to conquer those people that had the fire in the wheels, well, then guess what? You've got fire and wheels. Well, you got that Bob Dylan song, This Wheel's on Fire, rolling down the road. That is lit- That is an image of destruction right there. You got a disembodied wheel. Where's the car? No one knows. And it's on fire and it's rolling down the road on its own. So there's like a time-sensitive decision to figure that out. You're right. You know? <laughs> What I think this was a very good analysis of Bob Dylan lyrics. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining. Uh, I'm imagining seeing that image when you're unaware of what either a wheel or a fire are as inventions. Oh yeah, that well, would be an incredible. You know, I never experience. thought about that. I yeah. think that must be what Dylan had in mind because those are the two biggest creations of man well, combined in a very stark visual. In the Old Testament, some of the descriptions of divine visitations are like wheels of fire. Yes. So, right. Is that where you're going with it? And it ties into the idea of the, the mythology behind, you know, the cultural filters we use to explain things we don't understand, which happens today. There are some things that we don't understand about, um, aside from the, the horrific actions of the National Socialist Party, um, there's some things that are going to remain mysterious forever because when it was clear what, uh, when it was clear what the outcome of the war would largely be, a lot of, uh, a lot of documents and paperwork were destroyed by Nazis because they knew that the capture, uh, capture was becoming imminent. It was the fall of the party. But yeah, this, so like the yeah. cyanide pills, uh, for the documents and right. for the other stuff. Yeah, like uh, the this primarily the stuff that they burned primarily uh, regarded activities that were going to be prosecuted uh, as war crimes, like human experimentation. It's not a war crime to try to build a better tank. No, but it it's a war crime to try to kill a huge population of people, or to experiment on them, or to experiment in certain them. ways that causes harm. Just. Outright. So we do know, uh, we do have some examples of these different wonder weapons. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, there were aircraft carriers. Sweet. You know, uh, the Germany was working on its own aircraft carriers, like the Graf Zeppelin weighed over 33,000 tons. Uh, it, yeah, it's able to carry 42 aircraft and it was, it, you know, it, it was scrapped, uh, as we go through these wonder weapons. Keep a list and, and see if you can identify some, some common themes here. Uh, then there was a German aircraft carrier, one, in 1942. Would have been faster, larger than almost any of the other ships. This was actually conversion. It was an existing watercraft, but they scrapped that again due to design issues. Turns out building aircraft carriers is tough. <laughs> yeah. And that's why when they did actually come along and were utilized effectively, they ruled the seas. Right. And uh, currently still do until the rise of asymmetrical warfare. Uh, China is doing some of probably the most impressive research on that as we speak. Mm -hmm. And then they attempted to build battleships uh, that would be super weapons. And perhaps one of the most famous of the Wanderwaffe is the uh, the V program. 
the rockets. Yeah, this program consisted of a uh, particular group of long-range artillery weapons that were designed for strategic bombing during WW2, um, particularly terror bombing um, or aerial raids, like the kinds of images you get of an air raid, siren, planes coming in in London, and just bombs falling everywhere, and it's literally designed to keep the population terrified and cowering. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of versions of the V as well that you can find. I would say just go to Wikipedia if you want to because you can click through and see all the different images of them and you'll eventually get to or you'll probably start at the V2 rocket. That's the most well-known. Yeah, it's the breakout single. Yeah, exactly. But it went through all kinds of different like attempts because you're literally trying to build a thing that can use fire to propel itself across, you know, Mm-hmm. thousand hundreds at least of miles sometimes thousands of miles and uh explode on something yeah, with accuracy the precursor to icbms right yes so yeah the the v1 was just called a flying bomb and the v2 is the one that really as as noel mentioned really brought the terror to london and to other mm-hmm. areas of conflict uh but that wasn't just it this was a land air and sea we thing can't forget the submarines the, the u-boats. u-boats tell me about those Ben. i remember hearing about them in school how they were just so versatile and nimble um and, and incredibly yeah. important strategically for the germans yeah u-boats were incredibly you nailed it u-boats were a, a crucial piece of the of the German offensive and of the defensive lines because they could, if everything worked out as it was supposed to, right? In theory, they could neutralize the threat or do what's called, um, area denial for, uh, boats that would travel above water. Uh, of course, armored vehicles, gigantic tanks, huge tanks. We're talking tanks with crews of 40 to 100 people in one tank. And, That's too many people. And a railway gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it, I think it is too. Was this like the Panzers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. These were Panzers. Uh, some of those really big ones never made it to a construction phase. They were just prototypes or they were scrapped later because the entire time that the party is or the scientists are working on these astonishing breakthroughs in technology, the clock is ticking and the tide is turning against them. So they're spontaneously becoming more and more of a panic mode uh, because the management, I'm sure anyone who has a job is familiar with management coming down hard on you. Uh, management is telling them, you know, how long do you think this will take? Somebody says, I guess in a German accent, 10 years. And they go, cool, you've got three weeks. Okay. What are you going to do? And at that point, though, it all becomes just a fool's errand. You know, you sometimes when you get managers like that that are going into panic mode, they know damn well these are not realistic goals, but they're going to try to terrify their underlings to the point where they give them something. <laughs> right, right, yeah. exactly. I just want to get to one of these uh, monster huge tanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Can I say real quick, though, I, this, I've got to say this word. Uh, I love these amazing German compound words. The pan- Panzer tanks, the full uh, longhand version of that word is Panzerkampfwagen, which means armored combat vehicle. I just am a huge fan of these amazing compound upon yeah. compound but German words. Kampfwagen sounds like a station wagon you would get from Volkswagen. It does. And you know what you can also get from there? What's that? A land cruiser. 
it's that's another one. It's a there's one called the Land Cruiser P fifteen hundred Monster. It's it's just a a prototype, like an idea, essentially. I don't think anything ever really got created, but it would have been so massive that it would have used these eight hundred, um, what eight hundred millimeter shells. And if you look at one of these shells, uh-huh. and you look at a human man who is probably five ten, five eleven, standing there, it's at least two or three. It's two, like two point two, of that person. Uh, when you look at its height, it's a massive shell that would have caused crazy havoc if you ever were to fire this thing, if it were ever built. Right. And it sounds like just from an engineering perspective, launching a projectile like that with such force would probably have uh, a significant amount of damage on the frame of the vehicle, right? Yeah. And probably catastrophic effects to the surroundings of where the vehicle is placed. Uh, well, uh, don't put it in a good neighborhood. No. <laughs> yeah. war. But, but if you can imagine this type of weapon, you can really see a picture of, I guess what the leadership wanted to have these massive super weapons placed all over countries where, you know, on, I can imagine them protecting, uh, ships or something just sure. sitting on the edge of some giant cliff. Um, it's pretty terrifying of uh, an alternate future where that happened. Right. Well, you know, people could argue that the world has more or less been in a continual state of war just in regions, right? And war between countries. Those things are still out there, maybe not on that scale, but they're happening, right? And some of it some of the things that are just as dangerous in their own way are global information collecting nets. Yeah. People didn't stop tinkering. You know, we brought up Operation Paperclip before. Uh, one thing that's amazing though is I, I, I think a lot of, a lot of people, at least in the West, don't realize just how influential, uh, Nazi era science was or Axis science, if we count Unit 731 from mm-hmm. Japan in medicine, in rocketry, in uh, U-boat design, you know, submarine design. They really did change the world. They built the first fixed wing plane. I'm not trying to downplay the intelligence of the German people and the ingenuity because we do know they have great technology. But I really do stand by, especially medically, some of those advances came from having no scruples. Willing to do whatever it took. The vast majority of them. I completely agree. And, and it's, you know, there's this question that we have asked ourselves before, you know, was like, what would you do if you are, what would you do if you're a military official? Let's say you're the surgeon general for some reason. It's a very dark time to be surgeon general. <laughs> and you say, um, you know, we, you say, well, we have all these, we have all these files. This is the best, most thorough and current research of what happens to people at high atmospheric pressure because they took civilians and put them in there and repeated the experiment until they like as the people exploded. Do we is it exploiting that um, that horrific occurrence, that horror movie level stuff to use it or is it? in some ways trying to make some sort of good out of the situation, you know? And honestly, whatever, ladies and gentlemen, whatever your call would have been at that time, the fact of the matter is that not just the U.S., but also Russia, also the other allied powers 
took the research yeah. and used it, you know, um, and it had tremendous influence on the Air Force. But you're you're absolutely right. Like what what is what is the ethical line when you're trying to behave ethically, but the best information you will ever run into in your career comes from people who are ethically speaking, like not people subhuman completely monstrous or thought they were better than human, but we run into that. It pops up. I kind of say you take the, you take it, you run with it, you make it, you make it right. You make it good. You honor the, the memory of those people that suffered in order to achieve these innovations by making it better and using it to ensure that stuff like that never happens again. That's just me. I absolutely agree. And I think if we had Matt and I had discussed this before and came to the same conclusion, I mean, you can't bring those people back, but you can save other people. You also can't unknow that science. Well, yeah. And it feels like, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. It feels like if you put, lock it away in a grimoire somewhere, all that information or you burn it and it is mm-hmm. never to be found again. Someone else is going to come along. Maybe someone bad. And yeah. perform the same experimentation to find out the same answers that were gained there. God, that's so messed up. History is uh. a messed up place and we are going through history <laughs> at this point. So the Nazis also had gliders. Yes. Yeah. That uh, in addition to atrocities, right? Uh, first fixed wing gliders. Matt, you mentioned the Horton HO. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was something that would have absolutely looked like some kind of Delta Wing UFO. Sure. If you had seen it flying. Consequently, it was the um, uh, inspiration for the Dr. Seuss book, Horton, Here's an, a- an HO. Yes. Yeah. Which has been, mis- <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people got that one wrong. <sighs> that would have been a it. much scary book. Wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I would. I, yeah, I'd read it. I would read it. Uh yeah, so we know that there were there were these advances, these tremendous advances or attempts with uh, aircraft and gliders as well, including stuff that would be in very very high orbit. But one of the craziest ones, while we're going through this uh, this hall of fame and infamy, one of the craziest ones was the idea of something called a sun gun. Oh, dude! I know we're a family show, so I shoot you not. <laughs> this was a real thing. A group of German scientists at the German Army Artillery Proving Grounds at Hillersleben uh, began conceiving a super weapon that could use the sun's energy, that could weaponize solar energy, which is, of course, uh, for fans of planet Earth or life or those documentaries, of course, it is the engine that powers pretty much every living thing or every every reaction on the planet except for that one naturally occurring uh nuclear power plant yes. right yes uh so this sun gun the idea is that it would be part of a space station that's like 5000 miles above earth and the scientists thought that if they got a huge reflector made of metallic sodium that was three and a half square miles wide they could produce enough focused heat to how how James Bond villain is yeah, this? Dude. To boil an ocean, to burn a city, just with concentrated sun power. Melt a face? Oh, every face. Yeah. Every I, face. Yeah. Imagine I've seen a million faces and I melted them all mm. with my sun gun. Is that a Tenacious <laughs> D reference? No, it's a Bon Jovi reference. <laughs> Noel with the references today. Sorry, you're guys, you're just ruling. Jovi with the sun gun, I think, really oh. is the point. 
That's yeah. what, yeah, that's like a lot of people don't know that, but Bon Jovi uh, did come out of the sun gun research, yeah. you know, and it's one of those ethical decisions where the U.S. government said. It's like, do we deprive <laughs> the population at large from this rock? Right. Or, you know, what do, it, what do we do? So many innocent people died to, uh, to you know, produce this uh, this album. This powerhouse of rock. So um, I'm going back and I'm wondering, mm-hmm. did everybody have the same revelation of the, the power you can wield in your hand with a magnifying glass when the sun is out? Like, did you guys discover that? Were you told that? Uh, because this – whoever, you know, these scientists are, they thought about that and then they imagined, well, what if God had a magnifying glass and we were God? Such a German question. Right. I don't, I don't know. That's so messed up. Just imagining no. I can kill these ants with my magnifying glass or I can light this leaf on fire with my magnifying glass. Well, what if we did it to the whole planet? Yeah. Big old magnifying glass. Yeah. I, uh, I would, um, I always thought that the only ethical human experimentation is self experimentation. I've had ups and downs in that regard, but I did the thing on, on myself. On your hand? Yeah. To see how long it would take. Whoa. Yeah. Did you get a scar? Um, I got some, I got some smoke. I felt really cool. It was worth it. Mmm. Delicious. Got, I don't know why this, I keep thinking of this, probably because I watched it last night. Honey, I shrunk the kids. That feels like a Nazi weapon. Wait, oh, yeah, wait, yeah. the movie? Yes. The yeah. movie, the, the shrinking gun, even the look of it, it's mm-hmm. got this like kind of cyberpunk, not cyberpunk, like steampunk kind of weird, like the coils and exposed metal. It seems like something the Nazis would have been hip to. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that is a great movie. Uh, all of the iterations of it, I've, I think I enjoyed all of them. All, yeah, wait, there's more than two. Aren't there? Honey, honey we I shrunk, shrunk ourselves. Honey, we shrunk the kids. Well, no, no, kids was first. Honey, we shrunk ourselves. Oh yeah, no, no in no Self. particular oh, order. Selves was third, I guess. I remember the second one was Honey, I blew up the baby. That's right, it. right. With the that, big so baby. there were at least three. Okay, that one not so much. The third one wasn't straight to video. Yeah, honey, we shrunk the budget. Honey, I don't remember my childhood. <laughs> um, so, out of all of these proven, uh, proven weapons and pieces of technology like the Horton HO or the V2 rockets or, uh, the propaganda trilogy, uh, the propaganda dynasty known as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, or prototype super weapons, uh, one in particular gets by far the most attention from fringe theorists around the world, and we will dive into the story behind that after a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. 
when you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. And now begins the legend of the Nazi Bell. In 2000, a Polish author named Igor Witkowski published a book called Prauda. Oh, Wunderwaffel, or the truth about the wonder weapon. And guess what? I didn't pronounce that correctly. Uh, this is reprinted in German as Die Wehrhaub. Not even going to try that. It was reprinted in German. So this is the first public printed uh, mention of what this guy calls the Nazi bell. And here is what he claims. While conducting some research, he happened upon these transcripts from the interrogation of a Nazi SS officer named Jacob Sporenberg. And inside this transcript, he found the first mention of this thing that was called the bell, although it was in German and I can't do it correctly. So die Glocke. So he did all this during his time as SS and police leader of Lublin in the general government of occupied Poland in August of 1943. Then he was captured after a relocation to Norway and was extensively questioned. Um, Spornberg was extradited to Poland in October of 1946 and then sentenced to death by a Polish court in Warsaw in 1950. Uh, the sentence was carried out on December 6th of 1952 when he was executed by hanging. Um, and according to Witkowski, he was shown these allegedly classified transcripts in August of 1997 by an unnamed Polish intelligence contact who said he had access to Polish government documents regarding Nazi secret weapons. 
So Witkowski maintains that he was only allowed to transcribe the document and was not actually allowed to make any copies. So no photos, no primary source documentation, uh, and the legend was popularized by an author named Nick Cook, who used Witkowski's stories in his own book on zero-point energy. So there's a lot to unpack here, right? Uh, this guy was allegedly shown these documents, shown these transcripts, and it seems like that might be a a, a big uh, red light that's flashing and tells you, okay, he's shown these things, but he can't document them whatsoever. Um, okay, it makes you wonder about the intentions, if it's true, the intentions of the person that showed it to him. And, you know, it also makes you wonder, is this real? Right. So, yeah, there's a there's a weak spot in the argument there. The first mention of this bell, whatever it might be, uh, doesn't doesn't arrive until decades after the war. Yeah. Ninety seven. Right. Right. So when when would this? Well, even if we just say that the author says it happened in 1997 that he was shown these things. The book comes out in 2000. So it depends on, you know, how much of this person's word we want to take for a sacrosanct fact. We do know that there were Nazi secret weapons because allied powers found a lot of them. We do know that in some classified situations are dealing with compartmented compartmentalized information, as they would call it in the U.S., uh, that there are, you know, situations where people are not allowed to take photographic evidence or to be provided copies. I mean, this is a country where the Supreme Court, which has immense power, doesn't ever, doesn't get filmed. Yeah. You know, there are no cameras in the courtroom when the ring wraiths are in session. Oh, God. What? There's nine of them. <laughs> Or, you know, there, there are there nine will be, spots. There will be there nine. Are nine spots. <laughs> yeah. So they're looking for the next ring bearer. But, oh uh, but also an important detail here is that Spornberg is dead. There's no record of him saying anything about this any other time. And there's no way with current technology that we can ask him. Uh, so. What the heck is this thing? It it wasn't even around in even though it was in two thousand, it wasn't really around in English much until the author Nick Cook made a book uh looking into people, inventors, entrepreneurs who felt like they had discovered uh, various forms of alternate energy, right? Zero point energy, mm-hmm. anti gravity, stuff like that, all that jazz, all that smooth jazz. Something that'll change the game again. Right. So what what the heck? What in Sam Hill? What in sweet stinky Pete is this Nazi bell thing? Allegedly, it was an experiment carried out by Third Reich scientists working for the SS in a secret German facility known as Der Reis, uh, or the giant. Uh, it's in the Wenceslas mine and was close to the Czech border. You think it's the same king like from the Christmas song, Good King Wenceslaus? Was it his his mind, his personal mind? The very same, unless, I mean, like, at least etymologically speaking. Who knew he was a Nazi sympathizer? I feel like it's implied in the song. 
I'm going to have to revisit that, that text. I did say that without having read the lyrics. of. I apologize to the king. Good king Winchester's looked out on the feast of Stephen. I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. It's a, it's when a, the moon lay round about, deep and crisp and even. And panzers. What, what is this? It's a Christmas song. Yeah. What? Christmas is a holiday typically celebrated at the end of the Gregorian year. And invented <laughs> by the Nazis. <laughs> uh, well, I, and that's a totally different thing too. Oh, uh, side note, if we have time, I don't want to take up too much time, but side note, uh, the Nazi party did have a group of like an ideological group that was trying to supplant Christian celebrations with uh, a more what they felt tra- was traditionally Germanic based mythos and and celebration. Uh, oh, we've got to look into that. I think mm-hmm. we did in the past, right? Do we talk we, about that with Sanenberg? I get our videos and our audio mixed up sometimes, so we'll have to look at it. Point being, and you can find it. It's an amazing story. But point being, um, yes, the this bell. What the heck is it? What in good King Wenceslaus is going on here? Well, we have to look at a guy called General Dr. Hans Friedrich Karl Franz Kammler, Kammler, who oversaw the V-2 rocket programs. He was born in 1901. By the end of the Second World War, he was almost as powerful as SS Chief Heinrich Himmler uh, and the armaments minister, who is Albert Speer. He had access to the Nazis' most advanced technology, including uh, the V-1 and V-2 rockets uh, and these things are some of the only – those rockets are some of the only weapons that came out in enough time to actually rain destruction, right? The design mm-hmm. didn't get rushed into a point where it was non-viable. But as a lot of military historians tell you, uh, it came down to you know a matter of a couple years or months if yeah. if this tech if more of this technology rolled out the war could have ended differently this was the guy in charge of a lot of that this general Kamler. yes yes and in addition to designing and, and supervising secret weapons because he was also an engineer he also approved and designed crematoriums uh, in auschwitz and uh he was associated with some of the darkest, most disturbing things. It's a pretty broad skill set of evil. Yeah, right. He's a utility evil player. But his, uh, <clears throat> but his, the primary thing he was known for at the time was supervising the secret weapon programs. And this, this German facility in this mine was a real thing, right? The bell, the bell, right? The bell is the question. The maddening tintinabulation of hearsay and rumor and the telephone game we call history. Here's what Wachowski, as told by Cook, says the bell appears to be. Says it's made out of a hard, heavy metal, approximately 9 feet wide, 12 to 15 feet high. And it's similar in shape to that of a large church bell or handbell. So, you know, it's got a, it's got a bigger lip or rim at the bottom and then it tapers up to a, um, to the, to the this rounded, rounded top. The nipple. Sure. Yes. Yeah. To the nipple, which is yeah. the technical term. 
uh, you know, and there are various kinds of bells. So, you know, there are like Carillion bells, which are tubular. We won't, we don't want to mislead you. Think about the Liberty Bell. Think about big old steel yeah, bell. Yeah. Huge, heavy contraptions. So it looks like that. And according to Wachowski or Cook's uh, account of interviewing Wachowski, this device had two counter rotating cylinders. So one would be, uh, or they both be filled with a mercury like substance, which was violet in color. And it was codenamed Zirum 525 with, uh, that's Zirum with an X. And it was stored in a small, thin, uh, flask that was about a meter high and encased in lead. So they also said that there were additional substances used in the experiments referred to as light metal. And they included things like thorium and beryllium peroxides. That's a quote. Wow. So reactive things, uh, things that like could perhaps be nuclear powered if you use them in a certain way. Yes. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, Wachowski says to Cook, he says, this bell, when they activated it, it also needed a tremendous amount of power. He says that when they activated it, it had what he called an effect zone that extended 490 to 660 feet. Um, Hmm. And that seems like an arbitrary measurement in feet, but that's because, you know, this is – this is in Europe and in every other part of the world except for Myanmar and the U.S. and I think Namibia – Everybody else uses the metric system. So we said 150, 150, 200 meters. So what would happen when this effect zone was, uh, you know, in full effect when it was charged up cooking with zero five, two, five? Well, allegedly, if you're an animal and you have cells of an animal, blood of an animal, uh, it would form into crystals and, uh, like blood would, turn into gel and separate while plants would just turn into this greasy, I guess a grease-like substance, something that just looks nasty. Kind of like in Troll 2 um, when they would eat the green goo uh, and they turned into plants and then they would disintegrate into a puddle of greenish snot goo. That's pretty good. Yeah, or like when people uh, would... You guys have seen Troll 2, right? Yeah. Yeah, I actually have it on my computer now. Nice. And it kind of tuned out. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of like Indiana Jones uh, when they look at the Ark of the Covenant, right? Yeah. I think Troll 2 is probably, if we're aiming for accuracy in our yeah. film references, <laughs> and Troll 2 is probably better because they do end up being goo yeah. at the end of the troll process. Here's one of the worst parts about testing uh, a weapon like this. When there's an effect zone and you have to manipulate the stuff and turn it on and Make adjustments? Well, sometimes, and in this case, uh, according to this gentleman, the scientists become victims. There were uh, five of the seven original scientists allegedly uh, died over the course of testing this thing. And now we get to some of the architecture here. So Witkowski states that there are the ruins near the Wenceslas mine. There are ruins of a concrete framework, and there's one thing called the hinge. Uh, this looks like a frame with hooks attached that make people think it was the spot to test a um a vehicle of some sort or some kind of engine something that had propellant abilities and it's called the hinge because it's reminiscent 
well, very slightly reminiscent to Stonehenge mm-hmm. uh, because it is a constructed, an obviously constructed thing of stone. Yeah. Um, but they're standing rocks. And it is right next to a former secret underground research facility made by the Nazi parties, made by a state actor at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which was also made using slave labor. I feel like we have to point that out. Uh, if you are in the vicinity and you would like to check this out and maybe send your old pals at conspiracy stuff, uh, some photographic evidence, uh, while you, of course, avoid any possible field effects, you can find the, uh, you can find the mine, uh, with the coordinates that I will read to you now. It's, uh, 50 degrees, uh, 37, 43 north and 16 degrees, 29, 40 east. Dude. There you have it. Uh, so people who believe in this Nazi bell idea believe that the, they see this structure as evidence that there was actual experimentation with maybe some sort of anti-gravity propulsion, maybe some sort of other advanced uh, application of physics that we perhaps don't yet understand. Yeah. Uh, the anti-gravity thing is what I've heard most or the zero point energy idea that this thing, once you turned it on, it started generating its own power. It and, took a lot of energy to turn it on. Right. But once it's on, it's like, hey, we're going to run forever. Yeah, it was very, it was like Mick Jagger and start me up. Uh, how, however, for people who think this is not true, that structure itself is just another ruin and they say, well, if it looks like anything, it looks like a cooling tower, right? Mm-hmm. So the really crazy part, what, what was it supposed to do? We've mentioned it being like thought of as a weapon. We've mentioned it being thought of as a vehicle. But what what gives? What's the skinny? Can we cliffhang here for a sec? Sponsor break. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Well, you know, as a, a lot of these reports are, we are pretty much entering the realm of wild speculation. Uh, if I didn't have a shoulder injury, I would be gesticulating wildly. Um, so everything after the original claim by Witkowski itself is completely unsupported. Um, it delves into pretty arbitrary or at least unproven territory. But that has never stopped us on this show. So let us sally forth. For example, in the book, Hitler's Suppressed and Still Secret Weapons, Science and Technology, author Henry Stevens concludes that the violet mercury-like substance described by Witkowski could only be red mercury because normal mercury, quote, has no fluid compounds according to conventional wisdom. So what what is what is red mercury, Ben? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> the stuff that's in the thermometers, right? Uh, well, that's that, what I thought about too initially. That's that uh, that's that's mercury. Um, the difference between those mercuries is that the mercury in your thermometers is real. It's a, it's a real proven thing. Red mercury, at least at this point, is a hoax substance, and uh, you can tell in in some ways because the author Stevens. His source for this claim is, of course, as Noel said, conventional wisdom, right? Yep. Uh, many, many people have had worse things happen because of uh, their conventional wisdom. What's that old saying about common sense being the rarest thing? Uh, there, there was an interesting article that talks a little bit about red mercury because for a while, there's a little bit of intrigue in here, okay? So for a while – there uh, there was this idea that separatist groups or terrorist groups or militias around the world would be able to get their hands on a substance that they called red mercury and they thought was very, very dangerous. And it turned out that there's pretty convincing evidence that whomever was making this red mercury claim was a state intelligence agency, a state actor, um, possibly one of Uncle Sam's boys who – was was doing like a sting operation on these people. So it had all these rumors about its its potency, how dangerous and rare it was, how it could create the equivalent of a nuclear bomb blast. Yeah, because it's, it's an explosive, right? A, a non, non-exploding explosive, so one that's safe to handle, but then will explode when, I guess, activated. And... I love the idea of a non-exploding explosive. It just seems like a like a gag gift. Yeah. Can't call it a dud. I wanted an explosive that actually explodes. We got you. 
Wow. <laughs> well, that's like act- a, that's like a, uh, that's like a terrorist prank. You rascals. Yeah. But in this case, it's, it's almost the equivalent of a nuclear explosion if you had enough of this stuff, at least according to the legends. If, yeah, right. If um, it were real. But it's almost like yellow cake is something I remember hearing about. Sure. Back in the day and not knowing at all what it was and just having crazy ideas because I hadn't done any research on what yellow cake was. Um, I feel like you hear something like red mercury. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the same thing applies. You well, think, oh, it must be real. Yeah, that's part of the clever cleverness behind those kinds of manipulative things is you have this idea of of two things that you you understand conceptually. Yeah, I know what mercury is. I'm aware of the color red. And you put them <laughs> together, and then it seems somehow still understandable because they're not contradictory, right? Yeah. So it's it's an understandable but distressing thing. At this point, if we're being completely fair. At this point, there is no universally accepted proof of something called red mercury. That is the most fair we can be about it. But let us not stop there because Stevens further alleges that there is a concave mirror. Um, but Steve, okay, here, here's how he says it. He relays an anecdote from a guy who, when he was 13, in in the 1960s, the scientists told him about a device that had a concave mirror on the top of it, and the description of it matched, in the author's opinion, or maybe in the person he's interviewing's opinion, it matched the description of the bell, and that this concave mirror provided the ability to see, quote, images from the past. During its operation, and this line of thought led other authors to claim the bell is some sort of time traveling technology or time viewing device, kind of like the Palantir in Lord of the Rings, you know, a, a, yeah. a deadly crystal ball. I'm getting images of Contact, the movie Contact, where uh, there's this device that spins really fast, and then you can drop something through it, and it can time travel through time, I guess, uh, or in some way. I see, yeah, because they say only eight minutes passed. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm imagining the bell being these two spinning things mm-hmm. and then maybe you can even drop something through it or maybe the person inside of it is time traveling if you Perhaps. can climb in it. Well, I, I'm immensely glad that you mentioned UFOs, Matt, because – or aliens or extraterrestrials mm-hmm. because if you happen to check out things on the Discovery Network or History Channel, they're uh, infamous, love to hate it, hate to love it uh, – program ancient aliens you'll see that the nazi bell is associated with ufos in those things and we'll we'll get to that in in just a second it 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 all really goes back to the idea of where this thing ended up right so we've got camler disappears after the war people say he commits suicide and that's the official story but what really happened is he disappeared and the world's going to heck in a handbasket for Germany. So they have to get rid of this technology, right? And obviously no one found a bell and went public with it. So according to people who believe in its existence, this either ended up in South America, and that's related to a lot of other fringe theories mm. uh, and some fringe facts that we are we are already aware of. You probably have heard this a million times if you check out our – if you enjoy our show, and that is the idea of Nazis escaping World War II through the um, Vatican, at times Vatican-sponsored rat lines, mm-hmm. and living out 
and in, in some isolated cases, living their entire natural lives out um, punishment free in areas of South America. So people who believe that the bell was a real thing, but hasn't been found, think that Kamler brought it with him or somehow sent it to South America where it resides. Just imagine folks in the jungle today, stay away from bells in the woods. Regardless of what size they are, just in general, if it's not your bell, don't touch it. Or it ended up somewhere else. What if it ended up in Kentucky, y'all? Ah, yes, Kentucky, the logical, <laughs> the logical <laughs> destination. There's this thing that we may have touched on before here. I know we've touched on it in our video series, the Kecksburg incident. This is a UFO, an unidentified flying object that came down in 1965 on December 9th. It was originally thought to be a meteorite or called a meteorite. That's what uh, it was thought to be. Well, current researchers believe that this was a GE Mark II, that's General Electric, mm-hmm. re-entry vehicle that was launched by the Air Force as a spy satellite, which very plausible in my opinion. Uh, unfortunately, this one just fell out of orbit and then landed in Kentucky, as it does. Yeah, but originally, of course, the... Kentucky gets all the meteors and fallen yeah. satellites. And- yeah. But there's a lot of Hubbleoo, Hubbleoo, I don't know how to say that. Is this a Hubble joke? There's a, uh, yeah, I was trying Hullabaloo? to. Hullabaloo? Hullabaloo. Hubbleballoo. 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 More like hillbillyballoo. But of course there was a lot of hullabaloo at the time when this Kex, when the Kexburg incident occurred because this thing was, was bright and it, it sure. appeared to enter the atmosphere and then crash somewhere and People are like, oh, man, it's a UFO, you guys. Well, and technically it is. Yeah. Well, it's unidentified. It was a flying saucer that crashed, Holmes. Right. The Holmes, as they called each other. But be that as it may, pun-making prodigies though we may be, uh, there is a there is an unfunny and inescapable truth here, which is, of course, the government most likely lied to these people. The Kecksburg incident is different because – Civilians got there first. Yes. And we're able to look at this in detail. But imagine if you're, you're a state power, right? Uh, you have to control what your enemies would see or what other people would see, right? So having a spy satellite fall, first off, very fortunate for it to fall in the contiguous US. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you have to get that out because you don't want other people talking. About something that, you know, your rivals in the USSR or what have you will immediately recognize when they hear it described. So as far as we know now, it was probably the, the satellite that Matt described. But at the time, you can't blame people for thinking this is a Tunguska event all over again, or this is a piece of alien technology because who at that time would have seen a satellite up close? And by the way, guys, we have an entire audio episode on the Kecksburg incident. If you're interested and you want to learn more about mm-hmm. it, we've described everything that happened in uh, more detail. Yeah. Check it out. Go there now when you're done with this. But be kind. Yes. It was an earlier time. So it was awesome. Well, this is an awesome. This is an awesome thing. This, this idea that there could be technology that's beyond what we even possess today in 2017. And of course, 
this is just my opinion, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm pretty convinced. I have certitude that the technology that militaries have is at the minimum several years in advance of the civilian stuff. Just absolutely right. I think it's compounded over time too. We never really knew the top speed of the uh, the SR seventy one. Yeah, right. Until until it was in museums. Yep. You know, or was retired, or about how it expanded its metal and stuff. It was designed so it could expand because it got so hot and went so fast. I just want a million terabyte thumb drive. When can I have that? I guess when you start working for DARPA, man. That's a million terabytes. That's that's a name for that, right? Is that a? He- that's a lot. Hepa hepa bite. A peppa bite. I think they call it king size. A bagel bite. Someone write to us, conspiracy at how stuff oh, works, boy. and let us know what a million terabyte drive would be. All right, man. We'll get back on track. I apologize. No, I want to know. <laughs> um, it, it, so we, we have all these questions. This, this story leaves us with more questions. Some of them are psychological. Some of them are uh, material and some of them are a little bit more philosophical. So it's true that we will never have complete answers to many questions surrounding World War II. If you believe that a lot of people disappeared in the Vietnam War, first you are correct. But World War II had probably even more people just wiped off the face. Or even more soldiers mm-hmm. went missing, right? We know, for example, that uh, this, the thing that we all grew up being taught was Hitler's skull by uh, in possession of the uh, Soviet Party, I believe, was not in fact his skull. No, it was a female, but there was a jaw, part of a jaw that was found that was supposedly Hitler's, uh, that was identified by people at the time, at least according to, uh, Skeptoid, which is what I was reading. And this feeds into, you know, this feeds into the, the propagation of theories of Hitler escaping and, and living to be somewhere else, uh, living his natural life out somewhere else, maybe South America. But if we can't arrive immediately at good answers, we can ask increasingly well-informed questions. So the first question about this particular device that sounds straight out of science fiction, right? Uses either an ancient, an ancient power source descended from Vril and the flying machines, right? That appear in the Bhagavad Gita and are rediscovered in, in some sort of occult field trip on the side of the Nazi party, um, or some space age thing that had never been built on earth before. If either way, if it's so advanced, here's question number one. Why did the Axis lose the war? Yeah. If they had UFOs, if the, if there were underground bases, if there was revolutionary technology, then why did they lose the war? Well, first of all, it melted all the scientists so they couldn't finish the thing. Five out of seven. Five, oh, well, probably maybe the good ones. Yeah, the last two were like, F this. Associate <laughs> scientists. It was like this first day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Research assistants. That's a, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's an answer. And okay. Then, uh, assuming the SS officer really did mention some sort of device like the bell in an interrogation, how much could he have actually known or understood? Sure. He was a notoriously bad person and an effective, um, effective at what he did in the military, but nothing he did had a technical or scientific role in his entire career. So it's possible that he could have seen something and been mistaken. It's possible that he could have never mentioned it. Yep. It's possible there could have been some miscommunication. And then Kamler, the guy who's in charge of V2 rockets, 
in this case, we do have an answer. Officially committed suicide at the end of the war, yet growing evidence indicates that the U.S. faked his death, gave him a brand new identity in America, secretly using his knowledge of weaponry to advance their own studies, which means that he was never prosecuted. And this is never prosecuted in a country that will lock people up for life for nonviolent drug offenses, right? Yeah. In a country that has three strike offenses to the point where, you know, children can be locked up uh, for the better part of their natural life. So whatever happened to that giant underground complex? Well, it remains in ruins today, unfinished, just kind of hanging out, sitting there. And get this, it's only one of the just multiple underground storage facilities that the Nazis built at the time. There's some magic alien crystals buried in that mess somewhere. Well, I, okay, it's possible that there's undiscovered stuff like that out there. It's possible, like tiny, itty, tiny bit possible. But it's been a long time, right? It's been decades. Mm. Uh, there are governments that would have an interest in anything, any kind of technology or magic that may exist out there. And you'd think that they would go through it, but maybe not. And uh, we do know that Kamler was in charge of, you know, eight or nine of these things. They were dug out pretty extensively because it was one of the only ways to protect uh, secret, this sort of secret experimental research from allied bombers. Well, it's not like documents they could have shredded, you know, like when the when when the jig was up and the Nazis were being toppled and everyone was coming in, mm-hmm. ransacking their facilities, their bunkers, what have you. It would be pretty difficult to cover their tracks on something this large. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, yeah, but it could be like the uh, tombs, like King Tut's tombs or other tombs that are yet to be discovered that just maybe we haven't used the LIDAR technology on it yet in these areas, you know, to find the secret bunker parts inside the secret bunker. You are all about that LIDAR. I mean, it's one of the coolest no, technologies that cool. exists super right cool. now, I think. And so there we are concluding for now our story of the Nazi belt. We looked into this extensively and without saying that it is without saying that it's like a purposeful hoax or anything. The best we can say is that we found evidence of very, very strange things like these underground facilities. Right. And we know that we know that had the timing worked out differently. The technological advances that uh, that Germany was researching at the time could well have changed the tide of war, including the research into nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear warheads specifically. And they were much closer than a lot of uh, a lot of people might imagine. But we couldn't find anything about the Nazi bell before the year 2000. 1997, if you want to be. You know, if you, if you want to entirely accept the claims made in the book, we would like to hear what you think about the Nazi bell. If you'd like to learn more about this from um, maybe a more conspiratorial angle, check out the Brotherhood of the Bell. Check out the uh, other two books we mentioned here. And most importantly, if you have if you have some ideas or some insight that we haven't heard yet, we'd love to hear from you. And speaking of listeners, just like you, it's time for. Shout out corners. Our first shout out today comes from Alex H. Uh, Alex says, I'm listening to your grimoire episode now, and I thought I would send you something of insider perspective. 
something of an insider's perspective, he says. Um, I had Narnia and Middle Earth as my bedtime stories from a young age. Once I could read, I devoured the mythology and folklore sections of my local library. I was raised Catholic, but after my mother became very ill in my teenage years, I had a crisis of faith and began to doubt what I had been told. When I got to college, I discovered weed, LSD, and mushrooms, as you do. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever tickles your... Third eye. Um, And it really altered what I believed was possible. I read Grant Morrison's uh, comic book series, The Invisibles, huge favorite of the show, uh, around the same time and was enthralled by its wild experimental psychosexual spiritual spy conspiracy story. That is a mouthful. Um, Try as I might, and I really did. After that, I couldn't just... Put the genie back in the bottle. So I tried Buddhism for a while and yoga and the whole milieu that comes with that, but it never completely squared with my worldview. Western occultism is the only thing that has. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the fact that belief is a choice. A belief in and the practice of magic works for me. It is anecdotal. Much of it is psychological. And obviously, it stands against the dominant paradigm of modern society. But the simple fact is, when I am practicing, I feel happy and engaged with the world in a way that I do not under normal circumstances. Severe depression has been a condition of my existence for much of my life. Um, and if the fix for that is something most people would consider crazy, so be it. It's worth it to live in an enchanted world. It's a beautiful sentiment. Um, anyway, those are my two cents. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm not a religious person myself. I begrudge no one that practices religion if they do so respectfully of others, and it is something that works for them and keeps them on a path they find to be you know, uh, successful uh, mentally and spiritually. It, it doesn't work for me, but I see plenty of people in my life that use religion as a tool to kind of guide their lives in an ordered way, and this is, is no different in my opinion. Thanks so much for writing in, Alex H. Uh, that is a beautiful sentiment. I, I think we all agree here. Yeah, and we definitely share your... Uh, from childhood interest in the uh, folklore and mythology section at the library. So who's next? Our next message comes from Kelsey. It says, hey guys, I'm a new listener and I've been going back through the archive and catching up on old episodes. I got to the cannibalism one and y'all said you were wondering what your listeners were doing while they were listening about such a dark subject. Well, I'm an electrical engineer student doing research with semiconductors, and I like listening to your podcasts while I catalog samples, read papers, do homework, etc. Today, while I was cataloging and listening, I got a surprise phone interview for a full-time position after I graduate. Congratulations, Kelsey. That is a huge accomplishment Mm -hmm. and such good news. It went well, but it's hard to talk about green technology when you just heard about someone's testicles being fed to them. Oh, cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. Yum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry this about This episode that, brought to you by Blue Apron. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Kelsey. But, you know, we we are very glad that you got that good news. Kelsey says, love the podcast. P.S. I'll let you know if I get it. Well, we certainly hope you do. I, uh, Kelsey, you – first off, I – we're sending you good vibes unanimously and immensely and profoundly uh, sending good vibes. I gotta say uh, your, your comment, uh, your comment regarding testicles and cannibalism reminds me uh, 
I do a live show on Facebook called Snack Stuff where we try strange and weird snacks from around the world. Uh, you could check it out Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every couple of weeks. And we also have a food show that's come out, um, which I can say is good because I'm not part of it. It's called Food Stuff. It's about the science and culture of everything uh, wonderful, weird, delicious, and gustatory. Uh, but neither of those shows have covered cannibalism yet. Right. Give right. it time. They'll run into topics. Have you eaten testicles yet on Snack Stuff? I have not. I'll like to Are volunteer, Matt. <laughs> oh, and point of order, lest we not forget, the month of March is Tripod Month. That's with a Y. Try a pod cast. That's right. Hashtag tripod. Hashtag that. Try it, then hashtag it. Use the hashtag tripod when you're tweeting out your favorite podcast recommendations for your friends, uh, whoever. And so um, today I've got one. I'm a big fan of the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Uh, yes. With uh, Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis from The League and also uh, Paul's uh, hilarious uh, wife, June Diane Raphael, where they basically just riff and rip on uh, crappy movies. Yeah, they all get to Together, they'll watch it separately or together and then just talk about it. And it is hilarious. They're part of the Earwolf group of podcasts. And some of my favorite, if I ever go on a trip, I've got that show and Comedy Bang Bang and several others of theirs just rocking in my car. Uh, can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, for sure. So get out there and try a pod. <laughs> they did Hackers not long ago. By oh, the way. Hackers is the best. That's yeah, that's the one where uh, June doesn't understand what the little BB-8 toy's <laughs> mission is. She's like, "What's its mission?" And everyone just cracks up because it's like, "What's its mission?" It's wonderful. Nobody knows. You never know what's going to happen. In the meantime, this concludes our and our and that's the end of this classic episode if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways one of the best is to give us a call our number is 1-833-STDWYTK if you don't want to do that you can send us a good old-fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com stuff they don't want you to know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now.